I want others to to kind of see me and appreciate me like, hey, look at Mr. Story. Like, look at what he's doing with his kids. He's playing trash ball with his kids. He's playing marker bobsled. Like, what a cool uh, guy. Like, as I'm subtly flexing right now, like, <laughs> you know. Welcome back to another episode of the Working Enneagram podcast, where we talk about the Enneagram in the context of work. Allow me to introduce our two guests today, who are both Enneagram Type 2s. First, we have John Story, who is a fifth grade teacher. What a calling. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks, Kels. Thanks for having me on. As a two, I'm, I'm seeking that affirmation. So having having me on the show, I feel very, very uh, affirmed. So thank nice. you. Well, I and hope, appreciate yeah. it. I hope you feel wanted and thank appreciated. Thank you. I do feel wanted. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. And our second guest is Sarah Story. Yes, you heard that right. She has the same last name as John because they're married. Sarah is an admissions counselor for a private Baptist university. Sarah, I'm so, so, so excited to have you on the show. Thank you for joining. Thanks for having us, Kelsey. We're super pumped. All right. My goals for our time together is to give our listeners a peek into the world of the Enneagram 2. And I thought it would be fun to have a 2 who is more developed in their one wing alongside a 2 who is more developed in their three wings so that we can kind of see what are the similarities, where are the overlaps, what are some of the differences. And I have to say, I'm particularly excited to hear how the wings show up, not just in work, but also in your marriage. When I was thinking through who do I want to have on the show, I just got so giddy at the fact that two Enneagram twos are married to each other. It like I'm sure I'm not the only one who assumes that y'all are just serving each other all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about that. Uh, you know, uh, it's funny you say that because my sister actually in her maid of honor speech, mm-hmm. she said, yeah, it's funny with two Enneagram twos, basically the only time I've ever heard them fight is when who's going to do the dishes? Whose turn <laughs> is it to the dishes? It's my turn. No, no, no my I've turn. got it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely not all perfect, but I do think that there is a certain level of comfort that I think we can understand each other in a way, um, especially in something that as much as it takes for us to help each other and and wanting to have that in mind, I think that's huge in our marriage. I love that. John, what else would you add? Oh, gosh, you took everything I was going to say. So now I'm panicking. <laughs> no, um, no, I, I think for for sure, like it's it's helpful because we both understand kind of what our core desires are and like how we can uh, help each other just achieve those core desires and in, in everything. And, uh, you know, kind of being similar in that aspect, you know, there's a closeness that we get kind of from that. Um, where we both understand like, hey, right now I'm feeling like I just need to be loved and like, okay, well, what can I do, you know, to love you? Do you just need like, like, what's your love language right now? Like, do you just need some physical touch? Like, do you need like an act of service? Do you just need words of affirmation? And so I think for us just being married, it's, it's, it's helpful. Okay. I love that you said, what is your, what is your love language right now? And meaning that changes from Mm -hmm. time to time. So how did you realize like, oh, your love language isn't, it's not just a static thing. It changes. I think it really just boils down to sometimes us as people. Um, I think especially John has had the difficulty of learning me and all of my quirks. You mean the privilege? Um, the privilege. Yeah, I'm sorry. It is. Difficult. It is a privilege. I'm, I mean, 
Yeah. yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you answer that and I'll be quiet. No, for a but second. genuinely, I think sometimes my love language is physical touch, but then there's other times mm-hmm. where no, I need to be separate and I don't need that right now. And mm-hmm. so I think um, that is something I really appreciate um, with us both being type twos mm-hmm. is I think we have the emotional intelligence of realizing not always, sometimes we don't have the emotional yeah. intelligence, but most of the time I think we do, um, we're able to anticipate each other's needs of knowing like, is this a time where talking is good and processing is good with each other? And then is this a time where we need to step back from each other mm-hmm. and understand that? And obviously we still have a long way to go, even with a little over three years of marriage. Yeah. We've learned a lot, but we've also still got a lot of growing to do, but I think that's been super helpful. Yeah. And I think definitely for for being twos, right? Like our core desire for being loved and wanted, it's it changes. It's fluid. It's, you know, there are times where like, yeah, I do I I need a hug more. So then I just need words of affirmation. And in, in that moment is when I feel loved. And so I think for us being married, it's just over time we've started to figure out, and like Sarah said, we've only been married for a little over three years. So we're by no means experts on this yet. Um, but figuring out like, okay, in this moment, this is what Sarah needs to feel loved. This is what I need to feel loved. And by doing that, we're both feeling feeling loved, feeling wanted. And and for us, that's that's big. That's huge. Yeah. How how can you tell in those moments where you sit down and you're like, okay, what is what is my love language right now in this moment? Try, I don't know. Trial and error. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think it just kind of depends. I mean, I think if if there are some days where Sarah's had a little bit more of a rougher day, um, there will be times where she just needs to come home and it's just words of affirmation. She needs to, you know, just get some things off her chest and then just be affirmed like, hey, you're doing the right things. Like you're doing what you need to be doing. Like you're doing an amazing job. And then through that, she's feeling loved. And then there's other days where I feel like, Again, maybe not as rough of days, but just kind of depends, you know, um, maybe she just needs a good a good hug and just, you know, mm-hmm. just some hanging out time on the couch watching, you know, like the circle or, you know, vampire yes. diaries or something, um, which I've gotten into. So consider it. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was kind of trial and error for a little bit of just figuring out, okay, she's had a rough day. Okay, so what does she what does she need right now? And mm-hmm. sometimes um I wouldn't get that right. Um, and that's okay. And I think there's a lot of grace shown kind of through that when you don't. And it's just like really kind of helped our communication to just like, hey, right now I love you, but I I need some alone time. Or, mm-hmm. hey, I love you right now. I don't need a hug. I just need you to, you know, take care of the dishes or like, you know, knowing like, hey, she or me, like I just need time to decompress. So she's going to go do something that she knows I want to do, but right now I just can't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think piggybacking off of what John said, communication, I think that's where we've gotten to it easier, at least at this point, is open communication. Mm -hmm. When we first started our marriage, even dating, by no means did we communicate like that. Um, I think over, based kind of on trial and error, Mm -hmm. that's how we started to realize asking questions like, hey, you've had a rough day. Is this a time for venting? Is this just a time for me to show up and be there and be present for you? Or is this a time that you want me to help you and um, come up with solutions? What can we do? Is it a time where you need space or is it a time where we need to be together? And so I think that that's been really powerful, both in Mm -hmm. um, what we need as individuals and what we need as a marriage. Okay. I want to point out something that I found super intriguing and it doesn't 
surprise me in the least. I asked, how do you know what you need? And my in my interpretation of that question was, how does John know what John needs? And how does Sarah know what Sarah needs? And as twos, <laughs> you answered, for, how does John for, know what yeah. Sarah, Sarah needs? needs. And, yeah. how does Sarah? <laughs> and well, I love that. That's just a two in yeah. like textbook. Yeah, and, yeah. textbook. Yes. So now I'm going to flip it on mm-hmm. the head here. And I'd okay. love to know, like, how does Sarah know what Sarah needs? How does John know what John needs? That's a tough question, Kels. That's hard for an Enneagram too, <laughs> who doesn't want to self-reflect or look inside. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's tough. Um, I'm going to make you work. You, I know you are. Do you need time? Like, do you want me to answer? Sure, go ahead. Okay. Um, oh, gosh. I said that and now the thoughts just left my mind. So back to you, Sarah. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, thanks for joining today. Um, yeah, I, th- I think, you know, for me, um, trying to figure out what I need in the moment, uh, it's part of just kind of taking a step back and seeing, okay, where am I at emotionally? Like, am I, am I upset about something? Okay, right now I'm very frustrated at something. And so I just need time alone, mm-hmm. right? And so then it's me trying to, and this has been a learning process, communicate that with Sarah of, hey, I don't want you to feel like I don't want you around right now because she's a two as well. And, you know, that's one of our deepest fears, not being wanted. And so it's, you know, like, doing that self-reflection of, okay, right now I'm, I'm upset. I need to be alone versus, mm-hmm. okay, I'm feeling sad about something. And right now I just really need a hug from Sarah to, and through that, getting that reassurance, that affirmation, like, Hey, you're okay. Whatever the situation is, you're going to make it through. Um, and so I think it is, I think it's a challenge. What about you, Sarah? How does Sarah know what Sarah needs? looking at myself and determining kind of similar to John, what am I feeling right now? And what is going to bring me back to a state of feeling happy or at least peaceful? Um, If I'm frustrated, is it going to be talking it through? Is it going to be um, processing it through it with someone else? Or is it going to be communicating, whether it's with John or with friendships or coworkers, getting to sit back and say, okay, what's going to make me feel better in this moment? Um, or at least get me to, like I said, maybe not happy, but to a state of peace of feeling like I can continue on and keep going. Mm-hmm. So I think that that changes depending on the day. I am much more of a verbal processor. Like I do want to go and talk it out with people, mm-hmm. um, but occasionally that's not the case. And so I think just kind of trying to take a step back and looking inward is is super helpful. I love that. That's so good. So bringing us back to the love languages. Mm-hmm. Is there a consistent love language that you've learned about each other that you're like, this is low hanging fruit. I know for sure. This is pretty, it may not work hundred percent of the time, but we're talking like maybe 90, 95% of the time this works. Like, are you saying in the form of like, if we're fighting or if we're having, in or general, just like just wanting to show love in general? Yes. Okay. yes. Mm-hmm. I would say for John, he is a huge physical touch person. So a hug, mm-hmm. um, just getting to love him and whatever, holding his hand, different things like that. That is always going to be a big one. And then just quality time. Even if we are not together, um, I'm a huge reader. He loves to play his video games. And so that's a big thing we love to do is just sit in each other's presence, but Mm -hmm. do those different activities that bring us so much joy. 
Um, and then, of course, I'm going through and I'm naming like all of them. Um, but then also <laughs> words of affirmation. Oh, yeah. Though. Big gifts. No. no, but words of affirmation. Yeah, no, that's a words big of one affirmation. Too, making sure he feels yeah. important and loved and cherished. So I realized that I just picked three out of the five, which I feel like is a <laughs> bit like cheating. Um, it's okay. But, you left me too. Um, I feel like those are the big ones that I feel yeah. like I could do a form of any of those three and it impact him in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So for Sarah, I would say kind of just a, a constant would be words of affirmation or just physical touch and, and quality time. Uh, gifts, I would say probably for you, spot number five out of the five love oh, languages. Oh, at the bottom. I love that. Okay. I'm curious to know how that translates your specifically your love languages into a work setting because it is very different. It There's is. this level of intimacy in your marriage, but you can't quite copy and paste that in the work setting. For you, John, as yeah. a fifth grade teacher, first, tell me about how you came into being a teacher. What do you like about your job? And yeah. have you always wanted to be a fifth grade teacher? Uh, no, I've not always wanted to be. No, okay. um, I really haven't. Uh, so before I became a teacher, I actually um, mean, so it was right after me and Sarah, we got married and my plan was to go to seminary. I was going to get a master's degree and then go for a PhD in philosophy. Um and so, you know, kind of going through that, I was like, okay, I know, I know I enjoy teaching. I know, you know, I, I enjoy that aspect, but not really wanting to go to school for another, you know, eight to 10 years sure. to, you know, maybe apply for one of two jobs that are open in the U.S. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. So new plan. I'm still going to teach, just not philosophy. Um, and so I, I did. So I took some times and subbed, kind of got a good feeling for all the different grades, fell in love with elementary school kids. Um, they laugh at my jokes. They're super cheesy and it, you know, it. makes me feel wanted in the firm. So naturally now that I'm thinking about this out loud, I'm like, oh, makes sense while I'm a teacher. The kids and the team, uh, I work with, um, they, they just make it fun. How would you say the love languages translate like with your kids? How, what are some ways that you show them love? So as fifth graders, right. uh, they are, they are very into receiving rewards for things that they do. So for nice. them, uh, how I kind of love on them is through uh, gift giving. Um, and normally that comes in the form of a Jolly Rancher. So it's like, nice. hey, you you turned, you did all your work this week. You turn it in all on time. Hey, here you go. But then it's also interesting because it's either, I would say, you know, gift giving or like words of affirmation, like knowing my knowing my students, knowing kind of a little bit about their home lives and everything. Um, sometimes they just need to be told like, hey, you're you're killing it right now in math. Like you are doing really, really good. Those words have power, especially with little mm -hmm. kids. And you think, oh, they're fifth graders. They're not little kids, but they still are. They're like 10 and 11 years old. Right. And being told, hey, you're doing a good job goes a long way for them. And so I think it's kind of a balance between those two. I love that. All right, Sarah, we're going to shift gears here. So tell me about how you became an admissions counselor. And is that something that you've always wanted to do? Uh, similar to John, no, that was not something that I had ever planned or necessarily um, anticipated doing when I was growing up. Um, I went to school for counseling in general. So it is funny that I did end up going into a field that's I guess you could say slightly similar. Sure. Um, I graduated not knowing if I wanted to go straight into my master's and kind of similar to John, knowing that I would have at least probably another eight to 10 years of schooling. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and just really realizing that my passion was not necessarily counseling specific, but just people in general. And I think especially helping people, that's something I think I will always value in my work or, or job. We're all shocked. Yeah, I know. Right. Crazy. <laughs> what a yes. shocker. Um, no, but genuinely, I think helping people is just something that brings me joy as a whole. And while it can be draining, it's something that I really genuinely enjoy. Yeah. So I graduated from the University of Mary Hart Baylor, um, and that brought a lot of really uh, sweet connections. I got to work in the admissions office as a student. So when this position came open, it was almost kind of a no brainer of, hey, this could be a great fit. Um, and so I've absolutely loved so many different aspects of that job. So tell me what you like most about your role and something that you feel like is helpful in this season. So again, another Enneagram 2 answer that's going to shock a lot of people. Um, my favorite part of my job is my people that I work with, um, both from a standpoint of the um, co-workers I have, as well as then my job has a lot of time spent with um, families and different students who are looking into coming into college and getting their college career started. And so I really, really enjoy um, the people I work with. I think it's really special that I get to wake up every single day and whether or not I'm excited to go into work for the actual job itself. I don't think I've ever woken up in the past 30 years I've worked there and not been excited to see the people there. So I think that's something really special that I know not mm -hmm. everyone has the privilege of getting to say. Um, but it's also really cool because I've gotten to meet people from all different walks of life and the job that I'm in. Um, and so I think it's really cool to see how you can connect with someone in such a short amount of time. Absolutely. And that's just been really rewarding. I love that. So how do you see your love languages show up at work? How do you tend to show love or appreciation to your coworkers and the people that you're visiting with, the families that come, things like that? I would say for my coworkers, I tend to be a little bit heavier on the words of affirmation or even to a certain extent, acts of service. I think it's really easy for me to just take on things at work. Um, and I don't know if everyone would say, oh yeah, that's definitely acts of service, but it's taking on extra tasks or doing different things. Um, even if it's just going out of my way to um, go grab a t-shirt for one of my coworkers when they need, um, when they've got a tour coming or different things going on. But definitely I would, I would like to say words of affirmation, trying to encourage others and making sure that they feel valued and appreciated while at work. I love that. And then how do you see yourself receiving love, appreciation? I would say, um, Partly words of affirmation, although that's not as much of a strong point in me. Um, I think that if I can hear it once or twice, that's enough to kind of catapult me through my work. Um, if anything, I'd say it's not even negatively impacting it. I think it just positively impacts it. So, mm -hmm. so if I were like, Sarah, man, you killed it at this podcast, that would carry you for the next two, three days. It would definitely. Yeah. I think, I think that's not something that I would need it to, for you to then text me and tell me, Hey, also you did great again. You know, I think it would be enough <laughs> for that initial. No, yeah, it definitely wouldn't hurt. I'm, joking. I'm not wrong. I'm joking. And then honestly, a, a certain level of quality time too, just being around those, um, who are going to uplift me and just being near them is helpful as well. That is so sweet. I'm going to shift gears to more of the Enneagram mm -hmm. questions that I have for you guys. Okay. So we can tell already just from the conversation that we've had that y'all are Enneagram twos. Like you just hear it, the love, the appreciation, how y'all love to love others, 
how you like to receive love and how that can be in different facets. It's not just one singular channel, but also how y'all love your people. Like we hear all of that for sure. But how do you, John, know beyond the shadow of a doubt you're an Enneagram too? For me, just kind of, you know, going through reading um, and reflecting, you know, one of the one of the things that I've thought about um, recently is just like literally, I think the very first question I like ask my students in the morning, you know, um, or after I'm done teaching or like with Sarah, like if there's something that's going on, I think literally the very first question I ask is how can I help? Like customer service, John over here is like, hey, how can I help? Like, I want to make sure that you feel loved and appreciated and taken care of. So what can I do to help? And so I think for me, just kind of reading through um, that and, and seeing that and then also just seeing, you know, their core fears um, of being unwanted and unloved. Um, this, this is going to take a turn here. Um, but but for me and, and just in my personal life, that's something I've struggled with a whole lot. Um, just, you know, kind of hyper focusing on that uh, kind of throughout my college career, I would say. Um and everything, just that that feeling of, yeah, I'm, I'm not good enough. And so I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Or um, because I don't think I'm good enough, I shouldn't be loved. Um, and so that's taken a lot of growth, uh, a lot of a lot of grace um, on my part. And then just a lot, a lot of love from other people, um, including Sarah. Oh, that's so perfectly said and very vulnerable. Thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. I think that's helpful for people to hear and identify with like, oh my gosh, yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. Sarah, what about you? How do you know that you're a two? So I feel like there's a few different factors to my answer. Almost kind of on the flip side of John, his is more so the core fear and desire. I do resonate with that. Don't get me wrong. 100% do. But I feel like I almost knew I was a type two, more so on the behavior side of things, Um, both the good and the bad. I think that was something that I fell in love with the Enneagram at the very beginning was getting to realize and become self-aware, both, again, with the good and the bad, um, Mm -hmm. realizing that, yes, it is a genuine joy. It, It brings me so much pure joy to help others, but also seeing those negative sides of everything um, and realizing that sometimes love can be more manipulative or self-serving or um, almost self, selfish, not selfless, how it needs to be. And so I think that was huge for me to learn, okay, hey, this is where I'm strong, but this is also where I'm weak. And mm-hmm. it resonated so hard for me with both the strengths and weaknesses for it. Um I also think that um, on your last podcast, Kelsey, with Ben, when he said, um, basically, my emotional well-being is determined by others' emotional well-being. Mm -hmm. That hit so hard when he said that. I just genuinely get it. I understand it. It is, whether it's John, whether it's um, my sister, whether it's my family or coworkers or friendships. Mm -hmm. I am constantly looking to see, okay, hey, are you okay? If you're okay, then I'm okay. But if you're not okay, who? okay, I don't, you know, something's got it. What what can we do? What can we fix? Um, And so I think really understanding that um, has been huge. Absolutely. And I think to give twos credit here, when that motivation is fueled by the spirit, it is so pure and it is just unadulterated love. When it is fueled by codependency, it is it's rough because yes. it's yeah. very hard to distinguish. Mm-hmm. The, is this me being codependent or is this being loving here? Definitely. And yeah. I think the tail between the two is, am I truly okay if you're not okay? And that is 
genuine mm-hmm. love. Like I can let you be not okay, but I can still be okay. And I can make space mm-hmm. for you to feel whatever you want to feel, for mm-hmm. you to be sad and not be affected by that. That takes work. It's so hard yeah. for twos. 100%. Okay. So we've had several conversations about wings and are you more this wing? Are you more that wing? And in conversations that we've had in the past, Sarah, I know you lean more into your one wing. And then John, we have talked about, you probably lean more into your three wing, but off air, we were just talking, you kind of see both. I do. I do. Yeah. Um, I think first kind of getting into the Enneagram, uh, I just got into it because Sarah was into it and way to make her feel loved is to get into it. Shared Uh, interest. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and stuff. And so kind of first glance reading through, you know, the wings and everything, I think, uh, three just, it resonated with me more initially seeking that validation through how, you know, like other people see me, um, seeking that, that, uh, appreciation, you know, coming out of college, it was all my validation came through, okay. How people saw me as a student. And then just over the years and just kind of some self-reflection, I just, I'm starting, to see more so now my wing one come out mm. because I was, you know, very judgmental about myself and, and everything. And so I think maybe now I'm starting to kind of find a balance between the two. Like I'm seeing both things kind of come out at different times. Yes. Tell um, me more about that. Where do you see the three come out? Where do you see the one come out? Oh gosh. Um, so I think for me, I, I see my three come out um, more so at work, honestly, Okay. Um, where I'm seeking if, if it's from my students, if it's from my coworkers, uh, my administration, just seeking that validation. And I want others to, to kind of see me and appreciate me like, hey, look at Mr. Story. Like, look at what he's doing with his kids. He's playing trash ball with his kids. He's playing marker bobsled. Like, what a cool uh, guy. Like, as I'm subtly flexing right now, like, <laughs> you know, like, oh, yeah, I'm a cool teacher. You know, send your kids to, to Mr. Story's class. What about the one wing? Oh, gosh. Um, I think that I think I think that comes out more so in personal relationships. Okay. Like, for instance, like with Sarah um, or just, uh, you know, friendships, family, all of that, where I'll constantly kind of be thinking, OK, well, what, what could I have done better? Like, I could have done something way better. Like, I could have loved Sarah way better if I would have done this. I love mm. that insight. Sarah, how about you? Well, can I piggyback off really quickly to add for John? It's interesting that he says that wing three is his most at work because I think he also has more wing one at his work than he gives himself credit for. Not necessarily in a like in a good or bad way, just he is. He has a lot of care of making sure he's doing right by his students. And Mm -hmm. so I think that that inner critic does come out some in that work environment too. It's an interesting balance to see um kind of that wing three come up of that confidence and self-accepting and assured hey i am i'm fun with the kids i can be on that personal and funny level with them but also he swings back around to am i doing the best i can for them Mm -hmm. so i do think it's interesting to see that at least from an outside perspective of someone who gets to to kind of see um both the personal and the work side of him. Again, I can't help but see it, but your response was the negatives of the three and the one, and your affirmation was the (laughs) positives of the three and the one, and that's just so sweet. (laughs) I love it. Okay, so what about you? Where do you see your one wing show up, and then do you see your three wing show up at all? Yeah, I think I see a huge amount when it comes to my wing one. Um, I have a big inner critic. I think um, 
That's something I. Oh no, as a one, I almost feel the need to apologize. (laughs) Why? No, but I get it. I mean, I know that there's been conversations Kelsey, you and I have had in the past of just understanding what it's like to have that judgmental side of yourself, Um, and so I think it's especially difficult in a work setting where the inner critic really comes out on my own side, but then I have this difficulty of sometimes the nitty gritty of knowing that I'm judgmental of other people, Mm -hmm. but also having like the biggest desire to not show a single person that, um, and having this, no, I have to make sure that they feel okay and that they feel loved and validated. So there's no way I can go out here and start judging them and start (laughs) saying things. So it's this hard balance. And so I think I really take it on if sometimes as a type two, I'm sure some people can resonate with this of, okay, well, I'll just do the task. Let me take on everything because I'm okay I can deal with my own inner critic. It's not always the most fun, but I can be judgmental and hard on myself. But it's really difficult for me to be judgmental and hard on other people. And so I resonate a ton with that and see that in my everyday life, um, both in personal relationships, but especially in working relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's so well said. And I think that really does come from a place because I can identify with that too. It comes from a place of like, let me shield you from my own anger. Oh, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. (laughs) And sometimes it's hard to give up control of tasks. It's hard partly. And that's where I think it's an interesting dynamic because partly it's me wanting to help me having that genuine joy of being able to help someone. I think sometimes when I'm at my healthiest, there's almost like a giddiness of getting to help someone and... um getting to take off a load of whatever they're doing, um, but also realizing that sometimes it does boil down to, okay, well, if I mess this up, I can only be mad at myself Mm -hmm. and I can deal with that, but it pains me to be mad at other people. Yes, yes. And the work I think for you and I in those situations is to not take over control, Mm -hmm. but to let, let ourselves be dependent on other people because that is healthy, yes. not codependent, but interdependent mm-hmm. and forgive them and give themselves grace. Like that's the opportunities. If you have a one wing or you are a one, you will want to take control and you will honestly, from a good place, you will tell yourself it is to shield other people from you getting mad at them. Cause mm-hmm. that sounds really good. But the problem <laughs> is like, you just need to work on grace and forgiveness, like at 100%. the heart of it. Yeah. So yeah, I love that insight. Thank you for sharing. And it is really powerful to see, like, when you do give up control of tasks, I think I'm getting better at that, especially in the workplace of, hey, people are very capable. And so, Mm -hmm. um, and it's not even that I have a doubt that they aren't capable. I really genuinely do think, like I said earlier, I work with some of the most incredible people Mm -hmm. in the world. So I know that they're capable. It's just this balance of making sure that I'm happy and and okay with them at all times. And so, um, but it is cool to see as you do give that up, how much better I feel and less overworked and less drained and also getting to see them thrive and grow in their own way. That's beautifully said. Yeah. Do you see your three wings show up at all? I think I do occasionally, um, especially when it comes to like validation. I appreciate validation at all times. I think if I get it a few times, like I said, it, it, catapults me to be able to go further into my work. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, that is important to me. I think I just really want to grow in my wing three because, you know, I've read things that 
type threes at their best self are authentic and self-assured and self-accepting. And I think that that is such a cool place to be. Totally. Yeah, that's good. I think sometimes twos, and y'all can chime in on this, sometimes twos misunderstand where they shift into their three wing because threes can shape shift into whatever the the room really needs them to be. So they're projecting this image of, what is it you need from me? I'm going to be that. And I think mm-hmm. twos and threes can both do that. They can both, they want to be successful. For twos, it's successful in my relationships. Yes. And so for them, I'm going to present this image of I'm okay, even if I'm not, you're not going to know if I'm mad. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to present this image of I am enjoying our time together, whatever it is. And I think twos do that because they are wanting to make sure the other person is good. Yeah. But that is a shift to the three wing that I think most twos don't realize happen. Yeah. Do y'all see that at all? Projecting this image of oh, I'm going to pretend like I'm okay or... I definitely do. I resonate huge with that. And so that's very interesting that you bring that up, that that is a wing three, because I think I do that way more than I ever understood it being a three, a type mm-hmm. three trait. Um, I definitely think not that I'm always this way, but kind of like a mirror ball that I will reflect back what you need me to be. And so Mm -hmm. if you need me to be happy, if you need me to sit in sadness with you, if you need me to do whatever, I want to be that person for Mm -hmm. you. And so I 100% understand that. Yeah. Yeah. When healthy, if you have capacity to do all of that, you're good. Mm-hmm. But it's when you don't have capacity and internally you're like, I don't have time for this, but I'm going to pretend to be sad with you because like, do we <laughs> 10 more minutes of this? or <laughs> Guilty. Uh- <laughs> we all are. Yeah. Yes. I do think it's helpful for people to know this about twos and you just kind of touched on it. Your degree of familiarity with the other person definitely plays into mm-hmm. how helpful you like if a stranger comes up to you and is like Sarah can you dox it for me you're like I have no idea who you are um can I run a background check yes. on you first <laughs> before I say it like you still might entertain yeah. the idea of like oh, I could probably help the stranger out yeah. but if it is someone like Ben or me and we're like hey Sarah can you watch our kids for the weekend or could you dox it you're gonna be like it's already on my calendar like Mm -hmm. the degree and the level that you know and love that person definitely factors into how much you are willing to give of yourself okay with our wings what I usually teach on is that they help our main type uh, grow they offer us something that within our own type we wouldn't otherwise have and so for the two the one offers that two the ability to be objective and you touched on this a little bit uh, to slow down and think well what is the right thing to do it helps the two discern what's the right avenue of help and support that this person needs and it really helps them get out of if I do something for someone and it's not helpful or they don't appreciate it, then I am worthless. It helps them see, oh, okay, well, we can tweak it. We can improve. We can change. And so the one offers that to the two. And then the three offers the two the availability to focus on things that they want to do. Threes are naturally wired to know this is what I like. These are the things that I want to do. Twos have a very hard time discerning that. And so with that being said, what advice would you give to other Enneagram twos who are listening, who may be looking for ways to get out of their twoness where they're just kind of stuck and they can't, they feel like they can't focus on themselves and they feel selfish for doing anything of them for themselves? That's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> I would say 
it's tough. I mean, I think at the end of the day, as a two, that is, it's a almost kind of uncomfortable place to be sometimes, I think, to mm-hmm. self-reflect on yourself and to sit and say, okay, I'm going to take what I know about myself, the good and the bad, and reflect it upon myself. Because I think in our nature, it's easier for us to just reflect and say, okay, well, how can I help you, whether it's fixing a problem or growing in that area? So I know it's incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. But I think it's so important and just to look at yourself and say, okay, how can I grow? First, I think identifying which of those wings um, do you resonate with more? Mm -hmm. And then not only looking at the negative, but also really taking in the positive. Mm -hmm. I think that that's something very easy for myself is to look at both the wing one and the wing three negative aspects and seeing, okay, yeah. This is, I do, I get that. I, you know, totally understand that. But flipping it on its head, exactly what you were saying of what's the right way to help someone or how can I become more self-assured and confident? And so really focusing on those positive positive aspects. I love that. And realizing how you can grow in those areas. And so I don't know if it's, I think that's something I'm still learning for myself. I don't think there's a specific right answer to it. Sure. Mm -hmm. I think it's just reflecting upon yourself and really focusing on those positive things of saying, yeah, that's like I said earlier, the type three, they are self-assured and authentic and Mm -hmm. they can achieve all of these wonderful things. Mm -hmm. What could I do not only for myself, but for the world, if I took on that positive aspect and then partner that with the type one of saying, okay, making sure I'm doing the right and the good for others. I just got goosebumps. And I think that's where we should end it. Like, how do you follow that up? Good luck Pop to off, you. Queen. Yeah, that's right. Pop off, Queen. Thank you. Oh, wow. oh my goodness. Stunning. Um, golly, I can't I can't follow that up. You did such a good job. Thank I'm you. so proud of you. Um, oh gosh. Okay, so like what advice would I give to an Enneagram too? Um, it's it's kind of a, a harsh truth. I know I've wrestled with that that I've struggled with, and it's like you know, if, if I'm not okay and, and I'm just pretending, um, to be happy, to be sad, to be whatever anybody else needs, um, that is a bad place to be because mm-hmm. then it's, I, I, I have to question and, and wonder, okay, how much, how much am I really helping that person? Mm-hmm. Like, am, am I truly helping them? Cause the, the three guarantee you, if I'm doing this, I'm, I'm not being authentic right. because I'm over here crying in a corner, but I will go take shots with you wherever. If you are, if you are needy, then then no one needs you in that moment. And and it's it's that hard to settle in because it is. It sounds so selfish. That's why I was very hesitant to say it because because it is. It sounds so selfish. It's like, I'm not gonna help you because right now I need to I need to focus on me. But but I think there's 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 an importance to that. Cause if I'm not healthy, then there's no way I'm gonna be able to help Sarah the way that she needs right. to be. I'm not gonna be able to love her the way she needs you to be loved. Pour from an empty cup. No, you can't. And it's funny because it, it reminds me t- two over here. I didn't even know I was a two uh, at the time, but I wrote a paper in college uh, and it was actually over uh, near and distant people. Mm-hmm. And it was supposed to be this like moral philosophy over like, how are we supposed to treat people near to us, people far away from us? All makes sense why I chose that topic now because yep. I'm a two. Um, and I called it storicism because, you know, I've got to be a funny guy. And there's... <laughs> For all of you philosophy people out there, there's a there's a philosophy called stoicism, and I just kind of tweaked it and made it storicism. That's the three um, wing in you. Thank yeah. you. Putting your name into it. Thanks. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Love um, it. Here but, for it. But I remember writing it, and like my whole entire point to it was, hey, like I I would love to go take care of people far far away from me. I want to take care of the people around me. 
I can't do that if I'm not taken care of first. My prayer, just from listening to you, my prayer for twos is that they would see themselves the way that Jesus sees them, which is utterly worthy of self-reflection and love and care and attention. And I don't know if that's something that that helps to kind of flip the script on. If you look at yourself the way Jesus looks at you, why in the world would you not care for yourself? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So when that voice comes in and says, hey, it's selfish to do what you want to do or to focus on what you want to do, it is only selfish if that's all you do all of the time or if you are so in your personality that that is all you need in order to find wholeness mm-hmm. and, and worthness. And that can be the low side of the the two it can come across as I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to do so that I can get, I can get, I can get. And that yeah. would be the needier side. But man, the healthy twos really come to that place where they can sit and make time for themselves and say, okay, what what about today sounds fun that I want to do for me? Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say that you, you graduate from that feeling of guilt. It's going to be there. Yeah. But what you do graduate from is responding to that guilt. You mm-hmm. can make room and say, all right, Gil, I see you. You have a place at the table, and I'm just not going to listen to what you have to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So y'all did such a good job, I think, of pulling that and encouraging twos. There's so much wisdom in what you guys shared. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us, Kelsey. Yeah, thank you, Kelsey. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this conversation with Enneagram 2's John and Sarah Story. Part of our conversation today was focused on the five love languages, which is a book written by Gary Chapman, in which he teaches how people come in all varieties, all shapes, different sizes, and so do their choices of personal expression for love and appreciation. I was interested to see how the Enneagram compares with the five love languages, as well as how each Enneagram type prefers to receive appreciation in the workplace. To see what I found out, go to valleypointcoaching.com forward slash Enneagram and the five love languages, or click on the link in the show notes. If you enjoyed this conversation, would you do me a favor and consider leaving a review explaining what was most insightful from this episode? Thank you so much for your support, and I'll see you next time.